I'm reading Proverbs 6, 1 through 11. My son, if you have been up security for your neighbor, if you had shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from a snare of a fowler. Go to the ant, you slugger. Consider it always to be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you slugger, when you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Well, I'm Greg Strunk. Pleasure to meet you all. And I tell you what, I'm going to actually, we'll go back. I'm going to read a little bit of the, the next the Galatians passage um, because it's about uh, setting us free. And really what we're going to be talking about today is really about those things that uh, God talks about in relationship with money that really help us to set us free. And I'll share, after I get done reading the passage, I'll go through and uh, share a little bit about who I am because you probably all are wondering why on earth did Rob invite me to come here to preach and teach to you today. So let us go. It is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and then do all, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out that you will not be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. There is a conflict with each one, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit, and you are not under the law. I tell you what, show of hands, how many people here like money? How many people here would love to have more of it? <laughs> How many people here struggle when it comes between that fusion of faith and finances? Is there a wrestling that goes on? Well, I'm up here, and a little bit about myself is, is that I was a pastor for 15 years, and for the last couple of years, I've been a financial planner. And a lot of people ask me, how on earth do you go from being a pastor to being a financial planner? Well, let me tell you, even as a little child, faith and money were two of my big passions. I uh, loved going to church. I loved praying. I loved learning about God. And I loved walking around like this so I could find money. <laughs> I have a bucket full of coins. And as soon as I learned to count money, I mean, literally, my parents would, I mean, I'd be downstairs counting money, counting money all the time. Like, I mean, I, this, I knew exactly how many coins I had on any given day. It didn't take long before I opened up my first bank account and stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. And I loved, once again, um, 
Jesus. Me and my brother, we'd, we'd share a room and we'd talk about God and we'd pray together. And I loved God. And my beginning struggles with God and my growth and my love of money actually came a little bit dysfunctional when my dad was called to go into ministry. Dad called to go into ministry, and all of a sudden, we had to give up our house, give up the couple acres that we had in the woods, which as a boy, I loved playing in the woods, loved climbing trees. And all of a sudden, we give up our van that we went used to go on vacations. We stopped going on vacations. And all of a sudden, I saw my dad living out his call of life of faith, which was amazing in hindsight. But at the time, I was just like, whoa, this call of faith, this call of giving of his life to do something that God is putting upon his heart <clears throat> means that we have to give up all this. I like all the things that we were giving up. And I'm like, I don't want to have to go through and not have the stuff that I want to have. And so I had this kind of this dream that I was going to go and make a lot of money. And I wanted to work with money and be around money. So when I went to college, I went to college with the desire and the plan of being a financial planner. Learned economics, accounting, business, but in the midst of college, God had a plan for my life. God didn't abandon me, even though my heart had somewhat abandoned God. God didn't abandon me. And God continued to reach out to me, bring people into my lives, bring experiences into my lives until God captured the depths of who I was. And all of a sudden, I saw the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's sacrifice, and I opened up and committed into a relationship with God. And shortly thereafter, God called me to go into ministry. Now, I loved, just to let you know a little bit about my experience with God's call to go into ministry, is, is that when I, was, when I accepted God's call to go into ministry, I thought it was conditional, in the sense that God would let me work for 30, 40 years making lots of money, and then I would go and go into ministry. That was my plan. Because I figured it'd be so much easier to sacrifice and give my life to God if everything else was taken care of. I started by the time I was a senior year, I was interviewing for jobs. And I remember being interviewed for a job um, working for a financial company. And all of a sudden, the guy asked me, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? And all of a sudden, it's just like, I know what, I know what God's vision and plan. I was like, you know, I'm probably going to be a pastor of a church. And I <laughs> just shook my head. The guy's got to be like, what? Why are you here? <laughs> like, what's going on here? And I, but I knew in my heart, I'm like, I think I got to go to seminary. And I mean, it was just like probably the weirdest interview this guy ever had. But at the same time, I knew. I mean, like I was knocking that interview out. I knew where I was, it was going well. I was like, he's probably going to offer me a job, but I knew it was the wrong thing. And when he asked me where I saw myself, it's just that all of a sudden that truth, that reality hit me. And so I went into ministry. And it was an interesting thing going into ministry, giving my life to serving the Lord, all of a sudden I start working with people, connecting with people. And one of the things that it doesn't take long to see, um, regardless of where you're at in the culture, is, is that people wrestle with money. And I came across churches, and it was interesting to see how these churches responded with their struggle to, with money. In one church, they had been 40 years of decline. They were a church of 1,000, now down to 100 individuals. And they really had a scarcity mentality. Even though financially, a lot of the individuals had, the reality is, is they used their, that scarcity mentality when it came to reaching up. One, they were fine accepting that God's abundant love for them, but when it came to reaching out to others, there was always a reason not to. Always a reason not to grow in love, grow in sharing that love, grow in caring that love, and it really was that scarcity mentality. You know, 
I knew I was called to abundantly give, and, and I wanted to be yoked and connected with the group to abundantly give. And so I said, hey, you know what? We found a church that was abundant givers. But it was interesting. I found a different relationship with money. Is that sometimes we can have a scarcity mentality, but sometimes we could also have, in this other congregation, they were actually going to give about three quarters of a million dollars to plant a new church. Pretty amazing, right? And the difficulty was, is, is that they were giving the money not to extend and grow deeper in a relationship with God or not to grow deeper into things. They were doing it because it was a sense of moral obligation. We need to go ahead and do this thing. We need to grow. We need to reach new people. We're not. Let's use our money and use our resources to go and do this. So it's two different congregations, two different groups of people. And, and, uh, and to be honest, I saw those same things in the depths of who I was. I saw those same things in the depths of others. There's many times where I've made excuses to follow God, to live into my faith, because I didn't feel like I was enough. And there's other times I felt like what I had was enough, even though God was calling me into something more. And I saw that in the life of churches, and all of a sudden I realized I can't sit there and continue to be a part of this. I need to do something different, and that's where I was depths of praying and living and walking with God, where all of a sudden it's just like, you know, I think God, my vision for my life that I had as a child, I think God's reversing. It's not only just calling me to go into, um, out of the ministry, the pastoral ministry, but to take my faith and to live that out, helping people connect their faith and their finances together so they can use their giftedness financially, whether it's a little or a lot, to the purposes that God's aligning in their heart. And so that's a little bit of my story of being that connection with faith and finances. I'm a husband for 20 years, just celebrated our 20th anniversary. I'm a father of three kids. I have a kid that's going to be going to college here in uh, about a year, and a, a year and a half from now. Oh, my goodness. I'm starting to get sweaty up here because starting to think about that. So I've dip, high schooler, middle schooler, elementary. So I've got all sorts of financial pressures, different things that are going on. And so when I think and when I, as a person of God, as a faithful follower of God, as a financial planner, the questions that I ask myself is, what is a right relationship with God? And really... When we talk about a right relationship with money, talk about a right relationship with God, it really begins by looking at the cross and asking yourself, why did Jesus do what Jesus did? I mean, when we look at finances, I mean, how many of us like rules? Just give me a couple rules to live by. Tell me how to manage my money. Tell me what to do with it. That's exactly, I mean, you like that? We like that, right? (laughs) It's good. It's comfortable. It's easy. Tell me to give this much. Tell me to save this much. Tell me to pay this off. Tell me to do this. And at the same point in time, at the heart and soul of the gospel is God coming down and living for us, teaching us, and dying for us. And so what's at the heart and soul of our faith is that we have a God that sits there and spiritually pays our debts. Spiritually says, whatever you have done wrong, wherever you have messed up with, I've taken that away from you. Why does God do this? I mean, couldn't God just simply say, here's the list of rules, live your life, guess what? When you die, you're going to go up, you're going to come in front of me, and I will give you ways to rectify 
Wouldn't some of us like that better? (laughs) But instead we have a God who sits there and says, guess what? I want you to know that there's nothing that can separate you from me. I want you to know that there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from me. And because of that, whatever you've done wrong, wherever you've been, whatever you've gone through, I'm taking it all and I'm putting it on me. I'm paying for your debts, for your sins, for your inequity, because you are designed for relationship with me. And there is nothing that can separate you from being in relationship with me. Why do I start, when we're going to be talking about debt, why do I start here talking about the gods, our spiritual debt? Because the life that God calls us into in here, how we live that kingdom life with each other in community out in the world, will impact our relationship with what goes on here. When Scripture talks about debts and talks about debts as being bad, it's not talking about debts as being bad as if, oh, there's the balance sheet that's being kept and God's keeping it. God's already wiped the balance sheet clean for you. But God knows that if you are overwhelmed with debt in this life, it'll impact your relationships and the ways that you can give to others and be a blessing for others. I mean, we know this, right? In our heart and souls, in the heart of our being, we know this. I mean, we hear the statistics, right? Why, number one reason, why do people get divorced? Answer, money, finances. Because what happens is, is that when all of a sudden we start putting ourselves into debt, we start putting ourselves into debt, we start feeling that burden, we start feeling the stress, we start feeling that anxiety. And what happens is, is that we can't live into our present And because we can't fully live into our present, we get anxious and that anxiety produces stress and that stress produces negative emotions and those negative emotions get taken out on the ones around us and the ones we love. And so there's this issue with that. And this issue with debt is not that it's a moralistically bad thing, even though you can sit there and say, yes, there's rules and laws. We can go throughout Scripture. We can tell you all the, all the places that it says. But it's because the reason why it's saying that in Scripture is because God wants you. You are built for community. You are built for relationship. And God has designed you to live into the depths of that freedom. And God wants you to live in relationship, in right relationship with one another. And so the thing is, I don't want you to hear as all of a sudden sit there and say, oh my goodness, I can't be in right relationship with other people because I have debt. How many people here have debt? Okay. Is there debt where we can still be in right relationship with the world and those around us? And is there debt that's stressful and tears us apart? Is there a difference between those two types of debt? So I'm going to talk a little bit. One of the things I love... A couple things about me. I love Jesus. I love money. I love Minnesota sports. Boo, pack, boo. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. you know, actually, I have family that works for the Packers. It is hard. <laughs> like, so, anyways, but uh, and, uh, 
love fishing, and uh, I tell you what, it's, uh, I love the fact that, uh, um, I love the fact of what, I love history. I love history. I love looking at history. And so thousands and thousands of years ago, I think it's important to understand when it's talking about debt, it's talking about a different type of debt than what we experience today because the economy was different. The economy actually worked on, you know, essentially is, is that I would sit there and oftentimes I didn't have money to barter with. So what I'd go and I'd sit there and say, hey, Matthew, I need a favor. I need you to help me out. I need you to do something for me. And that was the common, you're, you would do that with your community. You would work and you would barter and you would give trades and you would distinguish between the community. When it's talking about debt, it's really talking about saying, my community is tapped out. I need to go above and beyond my community and I need to go to somebody and we need to create a deal with each other. And essentially is, is that what I'm doing is, is I'm creating a deal with somebody that's outside of my community and outside of my connection. And literally, it means that I will offer myself, to, I will take something from them. But eventually, they're going to come back and they're going to ask for something from me. And most, more than likely, whatever I gave, whatever they ask of me is going to be way above and beyond whatever I poured into it. And meaning, if I can't pay, I will be their slave. And so what happened was, is, is that that type of debt is really what you hear repeatedly talked about in Scripture. When you're saying, making a promise and a commitment where you're getting something, and what you're getting is probably not his, what you're going to have to give back is way above and beyond what you're getting in that moment. And so that type of debt produces anxiety and stress because now you have essentially taken your present to sacrifice your future. And it's also one of those things where all of a sudden when the debt collectors come and they ask you to pay and you can't pay, there is nothing that you can do except to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. And it brings back all those negative things that we talked about. And so, kind of an example of going through what's healthy debt. Essentially, in, in financial planning, we'll talk about like asset-based lending. Like when all of a sudden I make a loan, and I get a loan, and I take on debt, and generally there's an asset connected to it, it means generally the interest rate's going to be lower. And being lower means that it's probably within a, a, a healthy rhythm of, of what I can or cannot pay. Generally speaking, is, is that we go based upon the, essentially saying 30% is a really a healthy guideline. I make $60,000, probably the most I should be willing to take on for paying is about, roughly about 20, per, 20, essentially 30% of that, which would mean about 20, 20 grand of payments of debt throughout the year. And the suggestion is, is that that's not just any type of debt, that the type of debt that that is is something that's asset-based, meaning I get a car, I get a loan. If all of a sudden I absolutely have to pay off, I can always sell that asset. I have a house. I have a mortgage. Worst case, income starts going down, things fall apart, I have an asset that I can sell to leverage that debt. It essentially creates a healthy balance of asset to debt. But generally speaking, is, is you, that doesn't mean that necessarily taking on that asset, I'm not going to go into all the different scenarios, all the different things, but generally speaking as a rule is, is that um, 
You want to look at your income, see what it's going to cost you to pay, and sit there and say, really, ultimately, it's between you and God, between you and your family and others. It's in your asking the question, will this hinder or help our relationship with God and with each other? Is the way that we're putting ourselves in debt going to be something that causes us to stumble and fall? Or is this a debt where we're going to mortgage our future? Is this a debt where we're going to cause ourselves to go down deeper? Is this a debt that's going to all of a sudden impact our relationship? You know, one of the interesting statistics that I found, did you know that 80% over any five-year given period, 80% of you, 80% of the general population will have no conversations about money? Think about that for a second. They will have no deep conversations about money, meaning they will not talk about budget. They will not go over whether this is, makes sense or doesn't make sense. What they will do is they will have money come in and they will have money go out. Simply understanding what healthy debt or unhealthy debt is isn't enough. It's making sure you're sitting here conversing about it, talking about it, connecting about it, to make sure it's the right match for your relationship with God and your relationship for others. Unhealthy debt, we see when all of a sudden we're sacrificing and putting ourselves in a hole in a burden where the, all of a sudden it can easily become overwhelming for us to pay. An example of this is that how many of us justify going into uh, deeper debts because we want to give something to somebody? I want, I want my kids, you know, I have, I have three kids. I want to give them a Disney trip. You know, $5,000 is what uh, that cost. You know, if I sit there and I sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to go on this trip. I want to give my kids something. I want them to have this. All of a sudden you go, you pay it off on credit card. You sit there and say, I'm going to, you know, I'll pay $125 for the next five years. That trip from $5,000 all of a sudden costs you $8,000. Well, 7,692 to be exact. And the issue with that is, um, it's $2,600 that you used to pay for your present at the sacrifice of the future, because what could you have done with that $2,600? And on top of that, what happens if your income goes down? All of a sudden, your dynamics change. All of a sudden, that becomes even more debt, because now all of a sudden, it starts to escalate even farther, because maybe you're not able to make those payments, and all of a sudden, you start with fines and charges and fees, and all of a sudden, that $7,600 becomes $8,000, becomes $9,000, becomes $10,000. Here's the thing. Remember where I started. Jesus has paid it all. Whatever mistakes you have, you don't need to feel guilt and shame about having debt. But at the same time, it is important to look, to recognize and realize where one is at financially, to deal with the truth of the, the, truth of the day, and sit there and say, you know what? This is not a healthy pattern of life. This is not a healthy way of living if I am made for relationship. What is a healthy pattern of living? How do I get myself living a healthy pattern? First off, it's also recognizing and realizing why we get ourselves into unhealthy patterns. Why do good people, people of faith, get ourselves in unhealthy patterns? 
You know, the thing is, is that we all live in a culture. We all live in the world around us. You know, I tell you what, <laughs> culture influences us. The world around us influences us. You know what? You live in the richest nation in the world, and you live in one of the richest parts of the richest nation in the world. You know what? If you were an alcoholic, would you want yourself to live in a bar? If you have a tendency to like material things, which we all do, right? Living in a suburb in the United States is going to be one of the hardest things to overcome. Being materialistic, being consumeristic is going to be where a majority of us will stumble and fall simply because of the settings that we are in. And so we need to recognize that a typical individual lives in a culture, that in culture influences us. And then our experiences influence us. Our experiences influence us in a, in a way where all of a sudden I'm, uh, bottom line, I go buy something, guess what? What does my experience tell me when I buy something? How many people buy something and feel terrible about it? How many people are, are excited when they go and buy something, right? I live in this culture, it tells me stuff is okay, getting things is okay. I go out and I buy something, guess what? It makes me feel better about myself. And oftentimes, you know, in this world, church, religion, faith, politics, whatever, whatever filter we have are, that essentially gives us a moral code, all of a sudden we'll adjust our moral code to match our experience and match the culture that we live in. And oftentimes, the thing that's on the bottom, the thing that's the lowest, the thing that we avoid the most is all of a sudden what God may, be, may or may not be saying. The biblical way, God's worldview is shifted. As God sits there and says, I want to be the foundation of your life. I came and I lived for you and I died for you because I want to be the depths of who you are. But I know that you're made for community. My grace frees you from community frees you for community. And so you need a church, a place, a community, a group of people, a body that helps you to not only know who I am more, but you need a body that helps you live into the vision and the mission and the purposes that I've called you into. And your experiences, you need a place where you can process that, a place where you can help to grow so you can connect deeper with the people that help you to grow deeper with who I am. And you will use that to help you filter to understand the culture that you're in. And so this is one of the reasons, I think, like one of the reasons why God, how, paying off debts, getting yourself financially aligned, is meant to help you grow into the relationship. But God also has another rule. In fact, actually, this one is more central when God sits there and says, aligning your life, and it's one that's I think sometimes it's hard to talk about, it's tithing. We're sitting here, God sits there and says, hey, I want to be first in your life. Why does God ask us to tithe? How many think God needs money? God doesn't need your money. God does not need your money. But God knows how we're all hardwired. And God knows that our first inclination will be to serve ourselves. God sits there and says, hey, this is who I am. 
You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus Christ. I'm a God who literally pours life. I'm a God who lived in a way that I gave myself to you. I took my power, I took my authority, I took the depths of who I was, and I gave myself to you. I poured out to you. And not only that, but I gave myself to you so that you could live into who I am. So you could live into the depths of not only who I am, but you could live as my disciples, meaning I want to reflect who I am to the world through you. So I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to give and to grow in giving because I want you to grow in relationship, not only with me, but with one another. And I don't want it to be the last thing you think about. I want it to be the first thing you think about. I want, when you look at your budget, when you think about the purposes and processes, when I do financial planning, the number one thing we go through is figuring out what are people's purposes? What's their purpose in life? What is it meant for? This is a great exercise for anyone. It's just simply to think of what you are meant for. And to ask yourself, does what you're meant for, if you're meant for God, if you're meant for community, for your family, for those relationships you live into, does my budget and how I organize my financial life reflect my priorities in my life? Am I letting how I spend and how I use this money and resources reflect how I'm designed and how I'm wanting to live in this world? I love the fact that we have a God who sits there not and says, I've given myself to you, but I want to pour my kingdom out into this world, but I can't do it I'm not going to make you do something. I'm going to ask you to do something. Remember, we live... Remember where I said where we live? It's hard, right? Tithing is hard. But I want to let you know it's never been easy. When these commandments were first given, did you know 80% of the world lived in poverty? And this is what poverty meant. Poverty meant that you only had a week's worth of food to feed your family. Poverty meant that you only had a week's worth of food to feed your family. Can you imagine all of a sudden hearing that you're meant to being asked to tithe? Okay, how many of you think that giving 10% is hard because you know what? it means that you're going to have to go without maybe a couple coffees, a couple items of clothing that you know you want, maybe even a vacation that you want to take. It's not about guilt and shame. It's about sitting here saying, God saying, I want you to live the way I have lived. I poured myself into you and you are going to live the most joyous and happiest life when you live your life organized to be pouring out to others. Because otherwise, what's going to happen? There's financial debts and then there's taking on spiritual debts. The spiritual debts is when we start organizing our lives not to live for God, not to live for each other, but just simply to live for ourselves, and it starts hurting us inside. It starts damaging who we are.
You're designed to live for God. You're designed to live for each other. And how amazingly free it is when we start living into God's design and start organizing our life to get rid of those things that hurt our relationships and organizing our lives to start living for God and to living into those purposes. And so, if you've never sat and sat down with the people that you're closest in relationship with and actually had a heart-to-heart conversation about money, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to sit there and think about what's coming in, what's going out, and what are you actually doing with it. And then I'd sit there and say, what is hindering your relationship? Go through what is those things that are breaking your relationship down? Is there debt in your life that is putting a burden upon your relationship? And then create a strategy of how you want to tackle that. Are there resources? You can go online. There's people that you can call, that you can connect with, that'll help you work through that. But then also think about what are you investing in to build relationship? Are you living a generous life? What comes first? What are you most committed to with your finances and resources? Is it pouring it into the depths of who God is? Is it making sure that you're living that generous life? Pouring into others? Is it organizing the really... Our call is to live in relationship with God and with each other. And are we pouring our budgets to help us grow as a family, to help us grow in community, to grow with God? And really create a budget that helps you go through that. You know, here's the thing. God accepts you for who you are. God knows your situation. God knows your truth. Most people don't talk about money because they feel guilt and shame about it. Some people feel guilt and shame because they don't have any Some people feel guilt and shame because they feel like they have too much. But Jesus has said, you've been made to be free. Don't run from the hard things of life. Don't run from your money. Don't run for your financial resources. Otherwise, you'll end up, it'll it'll control you. If you want to be rich in life, spiritually rich, but also Organizing and planning, it also helps us to grow to be physically rich as well. Take control of it. Have conversations. Talk to your small groups about it. Talk to your spouses. Talk to your families about it. Take control of it. Make sure that it is doing what it's intended to do to help you grow with God and grow with others. Let us pray. Lord, uh, in Matthew 6, 24, it says, can't have two masters. Either God, and it's interesting, you could have said anything, but it's God or money. Because you know the way that money can control us. You know the way that money can essentially uh, take over our lives. And we live in a culture and we live in a setting where it can do it and it almost seems natural because all around us, Lord, we see people struggling And we see ourselves getting fallen into that struggle. So Lord, wash us clean. And help us, Lord, to make a commitment to you. A commitment to you, Lord, to not only accept your grace, but also to organize our lives where it helps us to grow not only in relationship with you, but with each other.
to help set our priorities as if you has called us to in your precious and holy name. Guide us, lead us, let us wrestle with the truth with you.